Welcome to The Last American Vagabond. Thank you for joining me today. I've got a great interview lined up to discuss what's going on in France. As you know, we've been talking about this quite a bit in the last so many days. I recently had a, an outstanding article with Freddy Ponton entitled, What is Happening in France and Is the U.S. Government Involved? Now, this was on April 2nd, if I can read the date closely, looking at April 12th, excuse me. And we discussed this in regard to, at the time, which was a uh, a, a change in retirement age was kind of the story that was being discussed, but there was so much more going on. And it was a really in-depth conversation about the, what seemed like much bigger plays in regard to geopolitics and, and larger uh, you know, Western agendas. So I wanted to invite him back on today to discuss what you also know has been rising up yet again, more riots, more protests, more something going on. And this has been in regard to the shooting of a 17-year-old kid. And you guys saw this. We talked about it in depth. It was a horrific story situation protests then followed but then what happened from there is what we really want to get into today and discuss you know what freddie thinks is going on so thank you for joining me again today freddie it's a pleasure to have you back on the show it's good to be on the show with you and good to see you ryan again a lot to cover today as you just said and uh, we'll try to to make the most of the time that is given to us absolutely well let, let's start with you know kind of what happened from last time we spoke Right. So last time there, we, we just briefly discussed the idea of the same kind of idea that there's organic protests that arose because of a shift in policy. But we, as we discussed last time, there was much more going on around that. So and we discussed BRICS. We discussed his kind of getting closer to China, Macron specifically. So what happened since then? And are these two things connected? Let's just start there. A lot of things has happened. I mean, we're all following the news, obviously. That's part of what we do, right? And uh, I've had the chance to, uh, to, uh, to, to pick up the pen again and write a couple of articles about events that seems to me kind of a real milestones as far as the, uh, the global movements and the, the takeover of a, of a very powerful uh, cabal that seems to uh, have a plan and have had a plan for a very long time. So, of course, I've covered the Nord Stream pipeline uh, we have had a, a great discussions about that. A lot of interviews uh, I was able to to get into. And uh, there's a certain part that's going to come out. It's going to be very interesting. So that was a, uh, a pivotal moment as well in terms of the Ukrainian and the Russian conflict. I got involved in, in some of the discussions with regards to Ukraine and, and, and Russia. I was not trying to be too political about it because it's very easy, as you know, get, to get drawn in, in, the, uh, in, in the wrong debates. You know, this is not about politics at all. It's not about oil and gas at all. So for those that are actually like myself, interested in geopolitics, macroeconomics, and in social engineering and political engineering, then you're starting to see a, a different uh, pictures emerging and that's what i'm interested i'm not interested in the mainstream i'm interested in what we are not being told and uh, and then of course on, on the back of that we still have in the background the uh, covid-19 uh, uh, so-called pandemic that is still uh, creating a lot of debate i had some of my colleagues actually at the european uh, commission uh, with the covid commissions really some great guys you know independent uh, uh, you know, movements really starting to raise their voice against the global uh, pandemic treaty, which I believe is a is a major debate, and I think I would like to see more of the United States and other countries to, you know, to 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 bring you know the entire force of the independent and the alternative movement to make sure that we can stop that before even it starts. Absolutely, absolutely. What What's interesting is you mentioned the politics of that. 
I, it, I love what you said there, and this is something most Americans, at the very least, have a hard time wrapping their minds around. At least I would, I, I hope I'm wrong, actually. But that politics are simply how the ruling factions control us. It's not what they care about in the in the inner workings of their agendas, right? Like the two party illusion is a way to keep people in check. So it's interesting you frame it like that because I agree. You can, you can get pulled easily into these political debates. When really that's exactly what they would like as everything continues forward. I think that's fascinating. And, and I also, yeah, I did see Nick uh, Hudson and a few others speak at the European uh, Union Commission, I believe. And it was it's some really well laid out. I mean, they did a really great job. So I'll, I'll try to include that in the show notes for people to check out what's going on. And you're right. We, we need to be paying more attention about the global moves in regard yes. to WHO. And I see that related to this discussion as well. Would you say that makes sense? It all fits in. You know, it's a big puzzle. And uh, it's important to, to push especially truly organic independent movements, you know, because we can spend a lot of time, a lot of hours on, on Twitter and other platforms. But at the end of the day, what really matters is to be on the ground. And uh, I was a bit sad on the fact that I couldn't attend. Uh, I was on the guest list and uh, uh, they, they, they were very kind to, to invite me uh, uh, Resenting a little bit friends and uh, the work that I've done uh, over the years, but uh, unfortunately my back injury stopped me to doing that. But I'm back, I'm back, and I will be back, as you know me. Okay. I don't let go easily, and uh, I'm gonna go and talk so about subject that, that that's not gonna be really, uh, uh, really, uh, they're not gonna be happy about that. But uh, you're gonna have to talk about NATO. We're gonna have to talk about Hera. You know this new European border agency. What's going on here? Yeah. Um, yeah. So we'll talk about racketeering and corruptions uh, at the European Commission, European Parliament, and then obviously the uh, the, the massive gap that is uh, basically starting to to show now uh, in between uh, the, the 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 you know the, the citizenry of Europe and same in the United States and this uh, oligarchy that seems to uh, be uh, above the law, you know. So I think it is time for us to send them send send them a reminder that, uh, who is in charge, you know. Exactly. Exactly. Right. So and so let's let's kind of start with that one piece of the puzzle is that, you know, I think nobody can deny that there's obviously, you know, a couple different factors, even within the idea of like civilian populations just pushing back. Right. We have the idea of the protest side of it, that people are rightly just outraged about a child being basically assassinated on the street, despite infractions he might have committed. Like it was, you know, we all know that was the video came out. It made it very clear. People protested out of outrage. And then there's a level of that that's more about racial division and previous actions. But then there's also just people. I think this part doesn't get included enough. French people or any groupings, a lot of people in the grouping populations in the world are really outraged about what just went through with COVID. And what still is happening, as you pointed out. So, you know, to what degree do you think that is part of this, just the organic movement? And then let's kind of get into the other narratives around what might be happening. Uh, go ahead. Yeah, it's very, very good point you're making. I'll go back to the last point you made. Very interesting about the number of deaths and people injured with the COVID-19 and uh, very, very little movements and uh, very little support from the media. And then one kid, 17 years old, gets shot by a cop in France and then he, he goes around the world viral. So, yes, there, there's a reason for that and we'll explain it. But uh, let, let, let's start by the beginning. I think it's important to, to look at the, uh, uh, the events that are unfolded uh, over the last past five days, I would say, in France has attracted a lot of attentions around the world from media, from independent journalists and people itself. People want to know what's going on and trying to see whether this is something that is isolated or if this is something they can relate to. So in, in the case of the United States, obviously, the, the obvious uh, kind of a... Uh, 
uh, uh, uh, correlation that we, we, we could address would be the, the George Floyd, obviously, and the uh, Minneapolis uh, unrest, uh, the story about Antifa, all these kind of debates. And again, it's very, very easy to get drawn into that because then again, you're playing the game of politics. So I'm trying to stay away from that. I'm not saying that it does not exist. I'm not saying that the America does not have an influence and is trying to export this kind of a story or, or practice uh, from social engineering and political engineering point of view. It does exist, but it, it exists in, a, in its own format. Okay, So you can be inspired by what's going on in America. It doesn't mean that you have to use the same format. But uh, all in all, the idea is pretty much the same. And uh, the way we can calibrate that is by the response of your government. Your government is telling you basically what it's all about, if you care to listen. So as you know, I like to listen carefully and I pay attention. Uh, so to go back to, to the event, we, we have this young kid being stopped, you know, traffic stop. He's been misbehaving. He's a 17 years old kid. He's not an immigrant, like he's been promoted. He's a French citizen. That is the first thing I'd like to establish. He was born 17 years ago under the Chirac, Jacques Chirac administration. How is he an immigrant? He's not an immigrant. He's a French citizen that needs to understand that living in society comes with responsibility and rules. And education is a, takes a, a big part in that. Uh, but we also need to really un understand exactly where does that come from. So we need to look at the problem through different lenses. We can look at this problem through the historical uh, immigration in France, which is an interesting topic. And then the, the, the second part of it is the lenses of uh, social engineering. Social engineering has to do with what we are seeing at the moment. And then, of course, the, the big topic that everybody's trying to understand is the uh, how the politics are capitalizing on events and how it's become systematic that whether you are on the far end of the spectrum, whether you're far left, far right, or even central right like Macron, you're still getting points out of an event like this. Some people are actually coining on the death of this poor and this unfortunate event. So uh, I, I'm really saddened by that because there's a lot of vulture, a lot of shock around that. And someone, someone is benefiting from that, that's for sure. And it's like war, if you will. And that's the first word we heard from Macron. We are at war. Yeah. There is a war again, like COVID-19. We are at war. So what is he trying to tell us? That's what we, we're going to answer tonight. Yeah, well, I mean, right there, I think it's easy to see for the average person. It, it, there's not an invading enemy. So he's saying he's at war with the people of France. That's quite clear, at least some faction of it. So that's quite an incredible statement from, a, you know, a so-called leader of a country. You know, what, what's what's interesting, though, is, you know, you mentioned like, let, let's let's go on, go discuss the immigrant part, because that's a really important part of this whole thing. And I don't want to get lost in just this one piece, because I'll go off on this forever, because it really does kind of get under my skin. Kind of what you mentioned there, that there's all these, you know, grifters is a word that's overused today. But these people that are for a multitude of reasons, either being a part of an agenda or just a profit on or they don't care, kind of, you know, pushing in two party politics in this that are independent of the facts. So you mentioned that he wasn't an immigrant. I think that's a really important part about this because anybody that is apparently brown on videos today is being called some kind of, you know, it's basically the, the framing by a lot of these uh, people online is that it's an, you know, invasion of immigration because of left-wing policies. And, you know, and, there, and there's so much in, look, bottom line, people are basically saying that France was overrun and it's now an Islamic caliphate, stuff like that. And it just makes me almost... I'm outraged with the kind of ignorance that that is, you know, even if there's some element of 
some kind of an organized effort to, let's say, increase immigration for larger globalization reasons. That doesn't mean that everybody present is suddenly part of the problem, right? So what do you see in all of this in regard to that argument, right? So is there some aspect of this, let's say, aside from the organic protest, that there might have been some sort of effort of, you know, let's just say immigrants in the country that were choosing to take advantage? And in that, do you think there's a part of that that was because of some kind of outside effort, you know, the George Soros conversation? Like, how do you see all that? Well, it, it's very clear that for me, if you, you need to understand what you're looking at, what has been proposed to us as the fact. You need to, to lay under the foundations of, uh, of the information uh, at hand and then starting to really look at whether they're making, they are making sense or not. So the only way you can do that is by kind of, a, I would say, zoom out a little bit and go back in time and trying to really understand immigration in France. And uh, I can do that probably pretty much in, in one minute. So I'll, I'll try to, to give you the, uh, the lay down on that. But clearly, you know, immigration came in two waves in France. It came after 1419, First World War. We lost a lot of people, clearly. Uh, there was not many men's left uh, uh, to, to rebuild the country. So we, we got a lot of first wave of immigrations, bringing Portuguese, Iberian, Spaniards, uh, Jewish people from all over, you know, Eastern Europe, Poles. I mean, you name it. All over Europe, we had people coming to France to be part of the, the, the reconstruction efforts. So that was the first uh, uh, wave uh, around the 1930s. And then, uh, uh, of course, this was a, a very successful story because uh, there was a lot of already kind of a um, uh, kind of a, uh, common points, if you will. Many of them were Catholic, Roman, or at least Catholic. Uh, many people are let's put it that way, white in passing. These are not black people. These are uh, Caucasian people. So, and then uh, clearly there was a lot of work, a lot of money to be made. And this was a successful story. It is not unrare to see, as I said, many, many of them that has done extremely well with business. We find them in uh, companies, entrepreneurship. We find them in many levels of governments. So all in all, a very good, very good uh, a success story. And then Second World War kicked in. We lost a lot of men. Again, we're going to need people to rebuild. Now, to rebuild this time, uh, the French administration is going to have recourse to uh, a different workforce coming out of the uh, uh, former colonies in North Africa and sub-Saharan countries. So we're going to have uh, people coming from Morocco, from Algeria, from sub-Saharan countries. And uh, obviously they're different. They have a very much stronger, much uh, kind of a, a solid and a very old uh, culture, you know, which uh, is part of their community. And uh, they're not Christians. They're many of them are, are Muslim. And, uh, and, and also the fact that uh, many of them uh, speak French, but, are, you know, it's not a perfect French. And they're obviously of color. So there's a lot of differences, obviously, and this needs to be worked out. But to be honest with you, this was not a problem. If you spoke at a time, I mean, I'm, I'm born in the 60s, so I had a chance to speak with at least uh, these grandparents. They used to tell me it was hard, you know, we have a lot of work uh, and it was not easy to integrate ourselves because we were different. And it's fine. It's OK. You know, I can understand, you know, my my old family is, is very, very kind of uh, indigent in, uh, in, in the French history, fought many wars. And uh, we understand that it's hard. You know, I, I, I understand that. But uh, it's not a hurdle. This is not a, a lack of social cohesion. It's just 
people from different backgrounds learning how to live with each other. So that covers basically uh, the two waves of immigration. Uh, a lot of major housing projects were built on the suburb of large cities like Paris and Marseille and so on, you know. So it's a bit of a out of mind, out of sight, if you will. You know, they, they like them, but uh, go and live there. It's cheap. It's not expensive. And we don't have to get to see you in the middle of the city. So that message was a little bit understood from the beginning, but it was not a problem. There was no violence because of it. Mm-hmm. And then uh, 1968 came, uh, Ryan, and I think this is for me the, uh, the key point that we need to address because 1968, this is the change of our educational system. Education system in France is changing. We had a very, very rigid, extremely rigid uh, um, education system in France. Kids were not out there. They were not at the bottom of their building selling some Coke or some whatever they do and obviously uh, taking part into a parallel economy. That's not what they were doing. And the parents were still kind of rigid with their kids. They were like, you're not going to be, uh, uh, you know, putting our family names to shame. So in between educations and family doing their job, uh, often the mother was still home. They didn't have to work. So it kind of worked out. But as soon as the education, uh, obviously, uh, 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 1968 revolution, you know, cultural revolution, student revolution, the whole thing collapsed. The lack of discipline, kids were not attending school. Uh, all the parents that had a bit of money send the, the kids to private schools. And then the other ones end up uh, 50, 60 in the classes, you know, trying to get an education. That was bound to collapse and it did collapse. And this was the time where the government should have basically barge in and really address the problem before it gets out of hand. So that's where we're starting with immigration. Where is the government and why the government has been kicking the can to the next administration for the last past five, six uh, generations where they've literally basically didn't want to address it properly. There was a political recuperation coming from the left, obviously, saying that basically to these communities, you're not accepted, you're not integrated because the French are racist. <laughs> it's just really absolutely dangerous things to do. It should have never been allowed to happen. And then the, we were talking about clearly political capitalizations there, which eventually fell. And all in all, it was never attended. And that's really the, the problem that, that I have with uh, what we saw, uh, uh, Brian, is that if you do not attend a problem such as a, a huge social problem like this, it's only a matter of time before it's going to come back and back your ass, you know, and that's what happened. Okay, I've lost you. All right, guys, I think we have a little problem, a technical problem. I lost Ryan. Um, I'm just going to stand by and let him come back. Sorry about that. I just got booted out of the room. <laughs> you still there? Can you hear me? I lost you. you. You literally disappeared, and I just didn't know what to do, so I, I decided I, to stand by. And wait. I've never seen that happen before. I just I just it, it booted out of the room, and, I, and now the other page won't even load. Anyway, so just pick up right where you left off, and I'll just cut it. Like, just start, keep talking, and I'll, and I'll just let you keep going. That, that, that's all right. Yeah, I, I was finishing my points as, as far as, you know, really pointing the finger of, 
not only the Macron's administration, that will be silly to do that, but uh, this is a problem that is much older uh, than one would believe. You know, it's it really about, you know, at least four, maybe five administrations kicking the can to the next camp. Don't want to deal with the problem. There's no uh, corporate sponsorship. There's no money to be made in investing in these neighbors. And uh, although there were a couple of efforts, a lot of NGOs trying to get involved, the police trying to bring some uh, and recruit people from this neighborhood, you know, to have that kind of connection. So we can't say no effort at all was made. It wouldn't be fair, but obviously not enough. And I think uh, along the years, the the, uh, the lack of political courage uh, clearly basically left this problem unattended. And uh, it, it came back to, to, to bite our ass. It, it came back in 2005, actually, Ryan. It came back with a major, major incident in 2005 with uh, uh, two kids being shot running away from the police. It's massive. 9,000 cars been burned. Millions of, uh, you know, infrastructure has been destroyed. And the government should have learned that and realized that if they don't attend and they don't address this problem, this could only get worse. But some, somehow, it seems that some people are happy to have this chaos, you know, because when we are busy fighting each other, we are not fighting them. And uh, it's a diver, you know, divide and conquer, you know, usual, you know, it's not, you know, and funny enough, it works. Right, right. And so this, this comes to, so obviously that it's, it's impossible to, to not see that there's some element of this that is organic. But to what you're saying, to what degree do you think, and I guess this is just, you know, we're theorizing based on what we can, the evidence at hand, how, what degree do you think that is happening? That, you know, there's some level of like a globalist mindset or even just internal parties that are benefiting in some way off of keeping things like this or rather, I mean, and we can get, get into the next point about the recent bills being passed about censorship and surveillance, you know, to what degree do you think this is being used and to what degree do you think it was created? Well, you know, two different things in your mind. Well, two two different things that are that are pretty much linked. You know, we talk about meditation. So if we if we're going to say that there was a plan. You know, or it's part of a plan, maybe not a short-term plan, but a long-term plan to uh, to to promote uh, social unrest and making sure that we can point the finger at certain community which are easy to hate. You know, the difference uh, there have been problem in the past, so it's a it's an easy target. You know, but. Uh, uh, when I saw, and it's really, I was very happy to see that. I saw many, many people within the Muslim community uh, coming up straight away and say, Angan, you've been trying to capitalize on this community, politically speaking, for a very long time. But uh, actually, uh, we onto these kids. And they came out, young, young, young Muslim people coming and making video and say, you guys are a bunch of tramps. You're putting our community to shame. You know, what you're doing is not doing any good for nobody. So maybe you're blaming the world, the entire world for not being accepted, not being like, but being like, it's not by respecting yourself and then having a sense of value. You can only just blame the education or the parents. It's about taking responsibility. You want to be a tough guy? Well, before being a tough guy, you're going to want to be a man and you're not a man, but going out there and burning and fighting with the police and burning, burning, you know, shops where your mother is going to, 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 to do their shopping. I mean, what have you got in your mind? You know, so again, uh, this, uh, this is really about troubled kids that has lost their identity. And the reason why they've lost their identity, it's not because they relate or they are more attracted back to their country of origin. I've heard some politicians saying that, and I found that atrocious to say that there is an ethnic 
regression. Can you imagine that on national television? Someone say uh, this new generation are, you know, the victim of ethnic regression, meaning that they are now starting to hate friends because they want to go back to their roots, you know, meaning that basically the countries where they come from are, are full of troublemakers. It's, it's a really insulting thing. These guys should be really held accountable for what they're saying. But uh, apart from that, as I say to you, is that uh, it's, it's a bit of a both, you know, it's a bit of a pre-planning, Uh, and I'm going to give you a scoop. I've not talked to anybody about that, but uh, this is part of an investigation that I will be carrying uh, out. But uh, we've discovered that uh, prior to the events that surrounded the uh, the execution of this kid, which is clearly a, an execution, or could perhaps call it a sacrifice. <laughs> It's uh, another word, but uh, it all the result is the same, you know. But what we are seeing is, and what we are very interesting with fewer investigative journalists is to um, is to look into really the influence of certain um, NGOs uh, which are very close to the French government and especially those that owns and that founded these NGOs and we we, we, we start to see that uh, they've been targeting uh, these uh, youth communities in these uh, tribal neighborhoods with music and what we are saying is that they're creating a cast of uh, what I call bourgeois rappers, you know, people that have actually basically enriched themselves, promoting violence in their lyrics and providing a lot of things that should never been accepted. So if we're going to clamp on social media, we got to clamp also on music, you know, promoting killing cops and uh, doing some stupid things, you know, where is the value and how come NGOs are allowed to put money in that kind of productions? And funny enough, you know, uh, funny enough, you know, the day prior uh, the execution of, the, uh, of Nahal, we have this video clip and I wish I could play it to you because you will absolutely, it will just blow your mind. We have a clip with a yellow sports car being arrested by the kids. When you see the kids and the saying that are, he's basically just uh, going to go do something after eating in McDonald's, you know. And it's exactly the same lyrics that the mother is going to use when she's going to be interviewed for the first time, saying that, yeah, he just left. I gave him a kiss and uh, he was going to McDonald's. A lot of reference to the clip and a lot of reference to the interviews the mother did as well. And then more importantly, we see just on the back of that clip at the end, uh, all the unrest, the cars burning. We see a lot of destruction. And uh, we can see that also this young Nile was actually recruited in a video clip uh, that was uh, basically... Uh, filmed in the very, very uh, neighborhood where the incidents happen, and it's filmed by this uh, kind of a bourgeois rappers named Jewel. So we have to look at it, and I don't want to incriminate the rappers because I, I don't mind rap. Uh, there's some good rap out there, but the rap we're getting that has been financed by some very questionable people, people that we know are very manipulative. I am a bit concerned about what's going on there. So this is something that's going to be part of a, another discussion because uh, I will bring it on a complete montage. We'll be able to share screen. I'll show you exactly what I'm talking about. And you're going to be absolutely mind blown. So are you saying that the, that the rap the rap lyrics and, and the discussion video was this is before the event took place? So it's kind of like another four. So that's interesting you mentioned that because, you know, not to get into the theory, because the this is the kind of stuff that I think almost some ways distracts from the things we can prove, but it's still interesting that Netflix had yet another movie. I think it was called Athena or something, which took place with an Algerian kid that got shot, which started riots. And it's the exact same. It's, it's really crazy to see how often that keeps happening. So, and we shouldn't dismiss the idea that these things are socially engineered or seeded or, you know, predictive programming. But I, I want to go back really quickly to one point that you said there, because I don't think, I don't want you to be misunderstood. I, I doubt that you're suggesting that 
people should should be censoring music. You, you meant the opposite right there. But I think what you were saying was that it's ridiculous for them to argue we should be censoring social media while they're not considering while they're dumping in things that are problematic in music. Right. And I, I would see that as trying to create justification to create more reason to, to censor, to just you know, to justify those actions. Would you agree with that? Well, absolutely. This is what governments are paid for. They're there to make sure the contents are coming out. You know, it's content. You cannot promote killing the police. I mean, come on. Where are we? You know, it's, it's, a, it's a democracy. It's a republic. We have laws. How that flies and nobody is actually flagging these kind of videos. You know, I love good music and you can do good rap, but you don't have, a, you know, to, to, to promote criminal activities or misbehaviors and also promoting the, the hatred. I think this is something that I can't accept. That's why I'm raising my voice about that because, uh, you know, I love rap. I have no problem. I've listened to rap for as long as I can. I was a big fan of Negro spiritual back in the days, which is rap. This is about telling a story, right? This is about us coming together. doesn't matter where we're coming from, around a fire and telling a story. That's what Negro spiritual was, and that's what rap is today. It's about telling the story of what we're living, what we're experimenting. But that's not what we're listening now. We're listening about the conditioning of our kids. It's just 12, 13, 14, they're extremely influenceable. And these, these rappers now are kind of like, you know, being elevated to a God status, you know. So we got to be careful. They're extremely, you know, obviously have a, a lot of influence on these kids. And we need to make sure that behind the money that is investing in these productions, we don't have some people with an agenda. And that's what I'm saying. Right. I agree wholeheartedly. And I think, of course, it's the NGOs. And this is always how this plays out, right? They're essentially to a degree or even entirely seeding the very thing they then turn around and point at as the reason they need to take action. Problem, reaction, solution, however you want to frame that, you know, and it, you're, you're, you're spot on. I mean, it's, it's a it's we've seen this in the United States. I mean, there's there's entire studies, in fact, and discussions about the the rap, whatever you want to call that movement in this country, the, the you know, very clear, whatever you want to call it at the time, the, the pants, the sagging and the whole. It was very clear that that was something that was a movement, this culture, and it didn't really have to do with what people thought it did. There's a lot of that. And it was then again pointed at as a problem, you know, and it's it's interesting the the way that these things are used. So so in regard to the idea that there is clearly some kind of influence. You pointed out the outside, the NGO concept, which to me speaks more to, I mean, it could be local, but I think there's more of a globalist mindset to what part of this is. And let's talk about that in regard to how that is an aspect of this. The, the idea of BRICS, the idea of discussing China and how close Macron was, you know, kind of, you know, making agreements with, with these, it, it taking actions that are an absolute off limit in regard from the Western empire's mindset. Right. So do you think that is a factor in all of this? And do you think that may be driving some of the things we talked about? Well, obviously we need to diagnose the, the current state of affairs, you know, as far as the, uh, the advancement of this global agenda. I think that this has now been accepted around the world that there are a group of people, multinational uh, and government technocrats and uh, bankers and you name it, you know, and uh, certain institutions, World Bank, IMF, WHO, I mean, you name it, there's so many, <laughs> quite a, you know, it's a long list. But uh, I think we, we can all see uh, quite clear and they're not hiding that uh, they have come together and uh, they've come together with a plan. So the plan is unfolding. It's a bit of a lockstep plan. Uh, they're not looking back, clearly. They're not asking our permission. They are clearly, basically, moving forward with this plan. And the plan is to take control. And it's all about control because the things are really pretty much about to, to explode, you know, because <laughs> the situation in the world is, uh, you know, a, a quite uh, unprecedented. I mean, for those that have lived in the 20th century, even the early part of 20th century, we've lived uh, peacefully with 
done pretty well for ourselves. At least there was opportunity to do well. And we've never seen so, so much engineering in, in everything that we are saying. And obviously, we must point the finger at these uh, uh, unelected uh, uh, institutions. And of course, the, uh, uh, the uh, forever corrupted legacy media, which seems to be uh, happy to take money from these movements to promote the agenda. So these are for me the, the, the two major points that we really need to focus on. We need obviously to look at the external uh, influence uh, from this cabal, from these uh, organizations uh, in, uh, in, 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 in our current affairs in France. So how, do, how does that work? How do we see that? Well, the way I look at it, and that's my opinion, you know, and, and I'm open to other opinions, but the way I look at it, and I'm not going to be very popular in saying this, but I don't care. Uh, I think Ukraine is falling apart. <laughs> it's, it's the the whole, whole scenario is falling apart. And the, the idea of a NATO and a, a coalitions basically coming into Ukraine and blowing uh, blowing out Russia to King and Tom is not going to happen. Ukraine was never in a position to beat Russia from day one. Any military expert, and I know quite few on <laughs> personal level, uh, not only from France, they, 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 they told me to say, this is lunacy. I mean, Ukraine is going to basically, you know, endanger uh, Russia. So Russia, I think, was not really 100% engaged in this, uh, in, in this conflict. Clearly, they, they went there to to kind of assure their face and say, look, you know, we're not going to take that anymore. We told you, you know, we told NATO to stay at the, at the Berlin border and that's how it should be, you know, but if you're going to keep on moving forward, we're going to be there. And then uh, obviously there's an ethnic side of the con- of the conflict, you know, the, all these Russian speakers in Crimea and uh, and uh, in, the, uh, in the Donbass makes it very uh, obvious that the Russian had to intervene, you know, and they were very patient. I mean, they waited eight years. Yeah. I can tell you, Bring some, uh, bring some, uh, some guys from Germany or Ukraine fighting. You know, some uh, French-speaking guys in Geneva. <laughs> it is not going to wait eight months. We're going to get the shit out of them. You know, and sorry. I hope you can cut that. You know, if oh, yeah. it's not allowed. <laughs> but uh, clearly, we would. You know, so it's it's a double standard. It is a double standard in Turkey and in Syria. Uh, we we saw that, that exactly the, the the same problem in Syria and Turkey and 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 how Russians have intervened. You know, to to save the, this part of the world. Otherwise, today it will be ruled by uh, Al Qaeda. So again, we we got to be very careful of what we are saying because Turkish is a NATO mem- member. Right, so how come a, a, a NATO members can be intervening in other people's business without any, uh, you know, any problem uh, for whatever you know, good or bad reason? It's irrelevant. But what matters is the Russian went and, and helped and sorted it out. And today, uh, you know, a part of Syria has actually been uh, uh, been protected. Otherwise, it will be in, in terrible shape. So again, what I'm saying is that we cannot have a double standard, and this is exactly what we are saying with NATO, and this is the reason why. The story, they're losing the story on social media. It's quite clear that, you know, the lie is not is not flying anymore. A lot of people that were, you know, putting their Ukrainian flag next to the Twitter account are starting to put them down because they realize that they're by the death been made. And it's exactly the same behavior we saw with COVID. It was all COVID, you know, uh, help, you know, your family. Don't transmit the virus to your kids and your grandparents. And then uh, until they get uh, Janine Small, you know, at the European Commission, tell them we've never studied any transmission. What are you talking about? Uh, that's that's a low blow. And that's exactly what's happening with Ukraine. Uh, we told the Ukraine that, uh, you know, Russia was going through a coup and it was not a coup. Uh, we told that Ukraine is going to attack the uh, dam. That it, 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 There's no reason for them to do so. And then how are they going to attack the NPP? 
and, and the nuclear power plants and, and it's theirs, it's under their control. Why on earth would they want to do that? What's in there for them? So nothing right. is making sense. So what I'm what I'm looking at to make a point here is that I think we we are looking at a, at the NATO struggling to to sell the story. I think clearly within Ukraine there are tensions that we are not aware. Of, but I think a lot of people in Ukraine are leaving Ukraine. We saw miles and miles miles of lines at the Polish border. People literally don't want to send their kids to this war because they know exactly what's going to happen. And I think that story is not flying uh, uh, any longer. So what do you, what do you, what they, do they have left? Because when there's no more Ukraine, you know, we have Afghanistan with the United States, and we know NATO and the US are pretty much, you know, it's pretty much the same, you know. So we need to to be very careful because I don't think the the Biden administration can afford a second Ukraine. Where you're going to say, well, sorry, you know, we we really messed it up. So this is not about winning the war, and that's what's very important to say to that. This war in Ukraine is not about winning the war. It's not about making a point. It's just about giving enough time to squeeze as much as possible as taxpayers' money, whether it comes from the United States, whether it comes from Europe, it's a racketeering business. There's nothing else. And anybody that I've known in the intelligence industry, and I work alongside many of them during my time, you know, you know I won't say more than that, but uh, uh, what I can tell you is this is about business. This is about money. This is not about oil. This is not about gas. This is about keeping the status quo so that we can impoverish, uh, you know, uh, the, the the country that once were, were rich. So we're taking the money from the poor guys in the United States to give it to the rich guys of a poor country. You know, that's the way I look at it. You know, right. so it's not making sense. But it's also in the point that, that I'm making back to 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 this uh, situation in France is that when the a global movement like that is facing a, a pushback, a serious pushback. And uh, they are really restricted with regards to their uh, um, margin of maneuvers. You know, they cannot declare Ukraine as part of NATO. They're going to go to Vilnius on the 12th and the 13th in Lithuania. What are they going to do? They're going to try to make Sweden a NATO member. How are they going to do that? If you're going to have Hungary, you're going to have Turkey. That's not going to accept it. So they're not winning there. They cannot make Ukraine a member of NATO. So what are we going to do? What are they going to do? Keep on sending weapons there? This is not going to fly for much longer because there's not many people left in Ukraine to fight. And that's going to come back home. That's going to come back in the United States. That's going to come back in Europe. And this administration, what they have left to talk about, well, we're going to go back to COVID-19 because we've not done with this. We need to really, really make sure that we deal with that and bring the, the culprit to justice. And they know that the justice is coming. They know that people want the justice and unrest is there. And this is not an unrest by a couple of 17 years old kid. This is going to be a proper unrest because people want the truth. So unless we're going to get the truth, well, they're going to have to face it. So what do they need? They need control. And that is the whole point of what I'm saying from the French government reaction. On the back of this now, literally two days later, these guys are agreeing at the National Assembly to pass a bill allowing to basically clamp down on internet on all these uh, social tools, you know, different Snapchat, TikTok, Twitter, and they're going to be able to literally turn down tools and feature of this, uh, of this particular social platform, which also going to open a new debate with Elon Musk and all these Facebook guys. Uh, how, how, we're talking about you promoting, you know, uh, the, 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 the idea of a free speech, which is fundamental, you know, this is constitutionally protected. But yet we have our government telling us, well, we're going to just, you know, <laughs> switch off some tools and some kind of little uh, features on this social media to make sure that uh, what we don't like, you, nobody needs to see that. So we are told the story here, and I think we can really clearly see where this is going.
and it's not going the wrong, the right direction for sure. Absolutely. It's fun. This is exactly where I kind of honed in early. And to me, it, it felt like I might've been missing a larger part of it, but really I, the fact that you see, you know, there are larger parts of this, but like I said, France is being used to justify total information control. And what's interesting, and that was my first report on this when it was ha- like in the midst of it. And what's interesting to me is it really does begin to feel for those that are really, you know, not just focusing on one story, but are really trying to see the bigger picture and seeing how it all fits together. You know, we've got, I've, I've never seen the Israeli conversation completely like the Overton window on Israeli conversation has been broken, right? There, it is completely, people are open-minded now to the idea that it's not, you know, Palestine never existed. They're all terrorists. Like people are listening that there's something more troubling going on there. We could talk about Syria or Ukraine or any number of these situations. I believe they're aware that they are in a desperate loss of control around information, not military or kinetic. Clearly they got, they have more power, but they're losing control over our, uh, their ability to just say something and have people go, okay. Right. And, and it's interesting to me that this spins off on the tail of a lot of these kind of losing factors. And I think if I had to put a pin on it, it seems like it's outside forces creating the destabilization based on something that was already happening like they do everywhere, but also as kind of a side bonus, trying to threaten Macron to step back in line. You know, like there's multiple factors there. But the fact that he then steps up with this part of it, which is which is what you just recently discussed, and I also think is what you were just kind of mentioning, which is unnerving to see, that the using all of this, he's then, and I like that you've been titling it as France Engineer Arrest. That just kind of puts the pin right on top. But the idea that they are, well, here's just the article of it, passing a bill to allow police to not remotely activate your camera, your microphone, and spy on people. And it's just, it's so, it's, I don't see how that aligns with it if Macron is sort of going a different direction. You know, I mean, how do you place that in the bigger picture with this move? Is this him sort of falling back in line or how, you know, how do you see it? Am I wrong entirely? It's written in the 2030 agenda. It is written at the World Economic Forum blueprints. I mean, it's nothing is even, you know, it's just there for those to read, you know, they're, they're telling you it's about, you know, taking control and destroying nations and, uh, the deindustrialization, but also the disintegration of uh, of Germany first was written. I mean, we have the documents from the uh, 1980 project. You know, after the uh, uh, the uh, the oil crash, you know, the United States and in the world, you know, we we have this the document, these blueprints are telling us clearly that uh, the first thing they they will have to do when they basically turn off the um, the fiat currency and this. Uh, this uh, crazy uh, market that, that they've been coining for a very long time. They're telling us that when we're going to pull the plug, which means to, to bring a digital currency, there's going to be a lot of unrest. You know? So you need to have a trigger point. You need to have a, 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 a this kind of a key moment that's going to kickstart this agenda. And in this agenda, there is a, a huge amount of the control of the information and social engineering. It's a big part of what they do. We can see that they've been building these infrastructures, uh, uh, you know, using artificial intelligence and many other tools that they don't talk about it, but it's more than just artificial intelligence. And that's where the money goes, you know. So during COVID-19, everybody was worried about the manufacturing of uh, the uh, countermeasures, let's put it that way. And uh, while these people were worried about spending that COVID money into building an infrastructure of control. And so we saw NATO, we saw Germany, we saw many countries equipping themselves with this uh, basically army of NATO, of people that's just going to be out there basically just every day on their computer and this, uh, uh, yeah, literally infiltrating and social engineering the social platform because you need to control the information if you're going to push a lie it's not going to last long. A lot of good 
journalism, and I think the, the community of uh, uh, alternative journalism, independent journalists, uh, investigative journalists, it's so large and it's so global that it's very difficult for them to, to keep a story for a long time. So as you can see, the story never lasts long. It, come, it comes, it gets a little pick, and then suddenly it gets hammered down. The truth comes up, and by the time it comes up, they come up with a new story. So we saw that we had the coup, the so-called coup in, in Russia. Then you had a dam. Then you got the coup in Russia. And then literally on the back of that now, you have these threats of uh, the uh, uh, Zaporizhian NPP uh, blowing up, you know. Well, so it's last oh. night, according to the reports, right? So that mm -hmm. already also hasn't happened, right? So we're past the time frame they predicted, you know. So it's interesting to see they keep floating these ideas. I honestly, to be quite frank about it, Jet, I, and still do have a little bit of a worry that we might see something happen from the kind of people like the Azov movement. But do I think that either side really wants nuclear war? Absolutely not. But I know the U.S. government, like in Syria, has a habit of arming the kind of wild, maniacal people they pretend everybody else are and then putting very dangerous weapons in their hands. <laughs> so it's certainly possible they can get out of control. But, you know, it's interesting. To, so the way I look at this is it's interesting that you know, it's obvious to me that they're trying to control the flow of information on a global scale because they are quickly losing control of, of you know, the conversation. So why not create the first step in France? Because, well, bonus, we can, you know, for, you know I don't know. That's kind of how I see it again. So I, I, I feel like the, the side of this is kind of playing Macron on both sides. Where do you think he stands in this? If you had to put a point on Macron's stance in how this is playing forward, do you think he's leaning more towards BRICS and China or... The Western Empire at this point, the globalization of where that's going. He has no choice. He doesn't make this decision. He doesn't get to choose in which camp he wants to be. That's the first thing we need to establish here. When you place as a president of France for two yeah. elections, Great with point. sponsors, you know, coming out of the Rothschild Bank and being sponsored by some of the most powerful corporation in the world and being a, a former young leader in the World Economic Forum before Nicolas Sarkozy, which also was a young leader, uh, you can clearly see that this is uh, uh, not open to discussions. Clearly, this is uh, people that have been briefed and groomed uh, to be where they are, and uh, we can only blame the, uh, the military intelligence companies for uh, controlling and designing this blueprint because clearly it's the... the the fingerprints of, of counterintelligence and knowledge about it, intelligence and manipulations and, and much more is all over this document for those that, that know how to read it. And I can tell you when I read them, I've seen the fingerprints of many agencies there. So uh, as far as I'm concerned, all I can say to you is that Macron is, uh, is, is nobody. He's just someone that has been told to do a job. He's going to be following, especially uh, whatever he's been told. And you can, you can clearly see that he's not taking his order from NATO. Right. That's right. something that people need to understand. If you look at Macron uh, during the uh, Trump administration, he, he declared that NATO was a was a brand dead child. You know, it was it was over. It's gone. Uh, and he was straight away coming up with a project uh, about creating a European defense uh, structure and construct where he obviously will be that will be his baby and he will control it. And then uh, it was very clearly brought back very clearly by the uh, transatlantic. Atlantic cabal telling him like you don't get to call the shot without the authorization you know you don't get to get rich without the authorization so he was clearly told uh, get in line get in line with the program we'll tell you where you go how you do it and I think uh, it is quite clear that uh, the, 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 the central nerve of what we are 
subjected to in Europe comes directly from the European Parliament and uh, from Ursula von der Leyen. She's clearly the, uh, the, uh, the, the, the powerhouse there, and she's the one that basically put everybody in line. So um, until this woman stay there, and if she doesn't, she'll probably end up uh, as the director general of, the, uh, of NATO, then uh, we're going to have a tyrant, literal tyrant, corrupted person that's been there and, you know, do the bidding of this cabal. So, again, we are not anymore. Uh, there's no more politics. And so perhaps the message that I'll, I'll probably uh, I want to give you as we're probably approaching to the end of this, uh, this conversation. But uh, I really want to be clear about that. We, we, there's no more politics. Okay? Politics is about defending an idea, an ideal that is far bigger than you. So you are prepared to do sacrifice. You are prepared to fight. You are prepared to work extremely hard to defend this idea and, more importantly, to apply them. Uh, I'm trying to remember last time that I saw that. I saw a lot of promise, and I'm sure you did in the United States <laughs> over over the years, you know, but where is the politics, mm. right? If right. you look at the legislative, if you look at the policies, the policymakers, those that are supposed whose job is to make law, what kind of law are they making? Who's making this law? When you read them, you feel like it's a report from a consultancy firm from McKinsey, you know. This is not law that is there to benefit anybody, any of us. It's not benefiting the citizens. It's benefiting basically the people, not only that obviously write these policies, but uh, the government. It's it's really, really protecting the government. So what we have is uh, basically the same that we have with COVID, if you will. On one side of the scale, you have risk, and the, on the other side, you have benefit, okay? Mm-hmm. And if you look at the law and you're trying to, to do this uh, risk-benefit uh, uh, analysis, what you're going to have is uh, the risk uh, uh, is always the winner because it's about protecting the government. These are risk managers. These are not politicians. These are not these are technocrats. They work with graphics and they work with consultancy firm and they want to do one thing before anybody else is to protect their ass. And that's all they do. So nothing is benefiting us any longer. And the lack of political courage has literally deserted our political spectrums. Whether you blue pill or red pill, it doesn't matter anymore. We're governed by corporation. We're governed by large institutions. We're governed by people that have an agenda and have planned this for a very, very long time. So we need to be aware. We need to educate people. That's our job. That's what we do. And we spend our evening not at the pub. <laughs> but we're spending it uh, speaking amongst uh, like-minded people like you. And I'm glad to, to come on your show all the time. It's a always a, a great conversation. It's, it's very exhilarating. Well, thank you. I'm always honored to have you on. You have such an interesting and, and, and important perspective. Well, let, let's finish then with, I mean, what you described there is, is what a lot of people have been feeling. And, and this is important to see this on a global scale. It's not an individual. I mean, it is happening in individual nations and in individual locations, but it's a global concept that I feel like we're all seeing this. What you described is like the wholesale, like dissolving dissolution of the idea of representative government where we've watched over the years this, whatever this is, this entity slowly chip away at any kind of sovereignty. And now this is this last kind of effort with the so- the treaty and where this is going to just kind of put the final stamp on, yes, this is the new reality, you know? And so that's, how does that play in to what we're seeing here in this one French, just, you know, the, the riots, the protesting, the, the everything we discussed today? Like, how do you see that playing in with the larger globalization discussion and what can we do about it? Well, it's obviously to put the, it is instrumentalized. It is definitely politicized and people are capitalizing on it simply because it's a distraction. It is the distraction that avoids to actually 
anyone from, from talking about a real problem here. And as I say, when you're looking at a problem of a young kid uh, that gets killed, killed, executed by a policeman, uh, making you know news around the world, with even the, 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 the legacy media is picking up the story and you know making a big business about that. So clearly, they want us to look somewhere else, you know. So when you work long long enough in uh, investigating and talking to to the intelligence community, you you will know you will know that when they are telling you to look there, well, you want to go, you want to look the other way. Mm-hmm. So. What we are looking at at the moment is a distraction because something big is about to happen. And I think Vilnius is going to provide already some kind of a response to what we saw in France. And it has nothing to do with, unfortunately, this young kid that was executed. Uh, so that's my concern. My concern is that I'm asking people anywhere, anybody that I can talk to, don't fall for it. Don't fall for it because the lack of social cohesion happens everywhere. I mean, you're American. <laughs> you will know all about it. Probably give a lecture about it. But uh, this is for us to, to, to work our problem. We don't ask the government to work our social issues. We work it out one way or the other. The, the world is a mixed world. It's very polarized. Uh, but don't, don't, be one, don't be victim of this polarization, you know. Try to be kind to one another and don't jump onto the conclusion because a new article from Reuters or, or any other uh, of your favorite networks, uh, just take a time, just breathe. Breathe, try to understand what you're looking at. Where does that come from? Go under the foundations of the information that has been provided to you and then make your own opinion. And to make your own opinion, you're going to start to need to understand the big moves and what's going on in the world affairs. And I know we don't all have the time to do that because we work, we have a mortgage to pay and we get kids to take care of. And it's, it's just very hard to find these minutes. People are tired. And that's what the government wants. They want you tired. They want you confused. And they want you fighting with each other. So that's what is the story of now. It's exactly what they want because on the other hand, they're working extremely hard with their global pandemic uh, 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 treaty on one side, which is not popular. And on, on the other hand, uh, they also have this problem in Ukraine, which uh, they want you to be distracted from because it's not doing very well. Right. And I'll add one more point to the, the, the factors you pointed out. It's also emotional. I think it's absolutely paramount to the agenda that people react emotionally. And I think that's why these pl- the, the, the kid and the shooting comes into play. You know, it's because when people act emotionally, when you when you react through emotion, your your logic is largely circumvented. Right. We see that where people will react to something because they feel a certain way and they go, oh, wait, I overreacted, you know. And so that's why we see things like in Syria, where at Oman, the kid in the back of the ambulance, and we go, oh, it was completely staged. They do that because people go, oh, my God, a kid and he's bleeding and you have a, an emotional reaction. You know, so I definitely agree with you. And I think that's very important. I'll, I'll end with uh, this point from from Vanessa Bailey that she shared. As you said, make sure, you know, we question what we're looking at because, you know, we had like I'll, I'll end with the point we, I started with that the the narratives spinning around this that are completely independent of what we talked about today, that this is a, you know, an, an Islamic invasion is how this got framed. But it turns out, at least according to their numbers, which, you know, could be lied about 90 percent of people that were actually arrested were French. You know, and so it's interesting how you can see this, the fervor of, you know, what do they call it? The fog of breaking news <laughs> where people are just dumping in whatever they say, which, by the way, they have a right to do. It's called free speech. But sure. show discernment, guys. There's so many people out there that are trying to mislead you. Check out people like Freddie Pompone who are, you know, questioning everything as we should, being objective. You know, so thank you for yet again joining us and giving us an insight that we're not going to really get anywhere else. Anything else you want to leave us with today on this topic? Yeah, I, I'll, I'll add two things very quickly. Um the first thing that I would say, just to rebound on, on, on 
Vanessa's uh, post. It's very interesting because uh, Gérald Darmanin, Minister of Interior in France, basically was uh, inquired by the, uh, was audited actually by the, uh, by the Senate, uh, I think yesterday. And uh, he, the first thing he said, he said, I went into four police stations and because uh, I like to do that to understand who's involved, you know, in these riots and so on. And he said, uh, out of uh, all the list of people that, that actually were able to, to, uh, to contemplate, uh, there was very few people from, uh, yes, from, uh, from actually immigration, whether it's illegal or not. But he said, mm-hmm. there was few. But uh, I've seen a lot of, and that's exactly his word. He said, I saw a lot of Kevin and Benito. <laughs> He saw a lot of Kevin and Benito, meaning like absolutely not Muslim people, no Arabs. He yeah. said, and there was a complete list of people that have nothing to do with the immigration that are, that are actually French people from native descendants, you know. So it, it, it's really bizarre because, as I said, the Senate was a bit shocked. It's like, what are you telling us? You're telling us that we, we we're supposed to understand that this is a problem of immigration. And you're telling us that the people that are actually arrested and don't that many have been released, of course, out of the 4,000. But the list are clearly showing that a large percentage are actually not people issued from, from immigration. So what's going on there? So that's the first point that I would like to make. And then the last to finish uh, today would say... Being patriot, and I know Americans are very patriot, especially in the South, you know, as obviously in the North. But uh, I, what I would like to say is that to be patriot, never forget one thing. And that was my uncle before he died. He told me that he was a prisoner of war, Second World War, he was in camps for, I don't know, maybe four years. He was, he was there for a long time. Wow. Uh, it was never the same when he came back. But what I can tell you, he told me one thing. He said, you want to be a patriot, be a patriot, but make sure you have a nation. Interesting. Yeah, that's a great point to leave us on. Thank you again, Freddie. It's always a pleasure, my friend. And as always, everybody out there, question everything. Come to your own conclusions. Stay vigilant. All right. It's been a pleasure. Take care.